The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick DeVault, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Matthew Carter. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Dusty Baker. Most of y'all are going to know him as a manager, especially if you're Matthew and I's age group, but he's also had a pretty fair pro career. Um, he's a 278 hitter with almost 250 home runs. And then he's got a 539 winning percentage as a manager with, the, with the almost 4,000 games managed. He managed a couple more years, so they're 4,000. Um, he grew up in Riverside, California. He's the oldest of five children. Um, he earned the nickname Dusty from his mother because he uh, had a propensity for playing in a dirt spot in their backyard. His dad worked was a was in the Air Force. He was a sheet metal tech at Norton Air Force Base. And he played a variety of sports growing up. And basketball, he claims, was his very first love. And... Um, his dad was his little league coach, you know, so that was kind of his second love. And um, his dad even had to kick him off of some little league teams because he had that fire, you know. He um, had a propensity for throwing tantrums. And when he wanted to quit and have a paper out, his dad told him that he did not raise a son who was a quitter as a way to try and encourage him to spin his attitude into a positive direction. And then in 1963, when he was 14, the Baker family moved to the Sacramento area near McClellan Air Force Base. There he grew up as a fan of the Dodgers and described Tommy Davis as his hero, but the signing of Bobby Bonds in 68 made him a fan of the Giants. It's the Bonds family, man. It always comes back to them somehow in the West Coast baseball, yeah. especially in the Bay Area. It seemed like, you know, him and uh, Bobby Bonds went back some before he moved to Sacramento because I believe Bobby Bonds and then Barry Bonds were also from Riverside, California. So, you know, Dusty and the Bonds family go back a ways. So that's cool. And so, you know, when they moved to Sacramento, Dusty became a great star, a sports star in, in that Del Campo High School near Sacramento. Not only was he good at baseball, he was also good at basketball, football, and track. So it's good. You know, and of course, you know, at least a lot of star athletes – they seem to excel at other sports in high school as well before they decide to focus on that one sport, you know, to the, the one that they're really good at. Mm-hmm. He was even inducted into the high school Hall of Fame class in 2010 for the Sac Joaquin section of California. Yeah. And, the, you know, he was so good at basketball, he was offered a basketball scholarship by Santa Clara University. And his dad wanted to, his dad wanted Dusty to go to school, to go to college. And he want, he was so committed to get Dusty to go to college, that he went around and told scouts, like baseball scouts, that his son would go to college and play either football or basketball, as opposed to them wasting a draft pick on him. But there was one scout named Bill White, W-I-G-H-T, who saw something in him. And he knew, you know, he saw something in Dusty. And not only that, he, you know, Bill White knew the situation between Baker's family because apparently his parents, Dusty's parents, were going through a divorce. And he, the scout was worried that Baker would be potentially being a burden to his parents because of the divorce. And so the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, drafted him in the 1967 amateur draft. And honestly, Dusty didn't really want to go because, you know, the Braves played in Atlanta, obviously. Atlanta's in the Deep South. Being from California, he was a little afraid to go to Atlanta because, well, you know, the South at the time still had that stain of, you know, not being friendly towards African Americans or other minorities. But the Braves sent Hank Aaron to talk to Dusty Baker to try and influence him to sign with the team. And Aaron promised both Baker and his mom, Christine, that he would take care of him as if he was his own son. 
while guaranteeing that Baker would be in the majors before his college class graduated. It's a big promise right there. Yeah. That says something about his playing ability. For Yeah. The Braves want you so bad that they would send their best star to go talk to you to convince you to sign. I mean, that's... And that's, just to guarantee you'll be in the majors before anybody else your age is graduating college. You know, like, that's... Yeah. And I guess that was more possible back then today that the minor system is... Yeah. A little different, but... <laughs> but still, I mean, that's... They, Braves wanted Dusty bad, you know. And so, Dusty signed. He decided to sign with the team... To the anger of his dad, who sued to nullify the contract uh, and the fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus, which led to a decision where the state of California—this is wild—the state of California appointed a trustee over Dusty's finances until his twenty-first birthday, and because of that, this strained his relations with his dad. He didn't speak to his dad for three years, nor reconcile for a few years after that. You know, but seeing how his finances were invested. I guess his dad invested his finances, you know, it softened his perception of his dad and also inspired him to become a stockbroker for a time later in life. So like after his career, he became a stockbroker. So Dusty wasn't thrilled about that and he didn't speak to his dad. But once he saw that his dad put his money towards investing and I guess the investments paid off, he's like, okay, maybe this wasn't so bad of an idea. Right. <laughs> maybe, you know, <laughs> and you know, also before before he signed with the Braves, and this is I'm going to be brief about this. He attended the Monterey Pop Festival in June 1967, and this was like the first big rock festival before Woodstock, before all the other stuff. And Dusty wrote a book about it called "Kiss the Sky: My Weekend in Monterey for the Greatest Rock Concert Ever." And so, you know, if you want to read about his experience with the Monterey Pop Festival, you can check that out. But but he his parents got him the tickets like for his eighteenth birthday because he turned eighteen that like the day before the festival. And so that was a pretty cool sidekick. You know, side you know, he was at the Monterey Pop Festival, you know. <laughs> but anyway, back to his baseball career. So you know, he's in the minors in the Brave system. He started out playing in the Texas League with Austin. And I think they were the Austin Braves at the time. I don't remember. Maybe the Austin Cinders or Austin Braves. He played nine games in 1967. And then the next year, he played in the Western Carolinas League and the Florida State League. But then he got his big break. He got called up to the majors with the, with the Braves in 1968. He got called up on September 7th. And again, against the Houston Astros, he had, we went 0 for 1. And they appeared in five games that year and collected two hits. So he appeared in six games with the Braves in 68. And not only that, also during that year, he also served as a Marine Corps Reserve in motor transport mechanics. That suggested, I guess the Braves suggested him to do that. And he continued to do that for six years. So, you know, he served in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know. And then the next three years, he spent most of his time in the minors. He'd come up for a cup of hot coffee here and there, playing just 45 games for the Major League Braves. While batting over 300 for the AAA Richmond Braves in 70 and 71. And then in 72, he finally got a shot on the opening day roster to get a true start in his major league career. Played in 127 games, batting 321, um, which was third best in the NL. Had 143 hits, 17 homers, 76 ribbies, and received votes for MVP, although just a couple here and there. He finished 22nd in that voting. It was during the 70s that Baker played for the Aquí de Obregón. If I mispronounced that, I apologize. Of the Mexican Pacific League in the offseason, stating it was the toughest league that he ever played in professionally. The next year, he would play in 159 games, which was career high, and batted 288 with 174 hits, 101 runs, 21 home runs, 99 RBIs, and 24 stolen bases. The 99 RBIs and the 24 stolen bases were his career highs. He played two more seasons with the Braves, batting over 255 in each as a center fielder, but it was a moment in 1974 that earned him a place in history. On April 8th, Baker batted fifth in the lineup behind Hank Aaron. In the fourth inning with Baker on deck, Aaron hit a shot to left field off Al Dowling for what most of y'all are going to know as number 715 to pass Babe Ruth and career home runs. After the 75 season, he expressed a desire to get traded, and he was on November 17th, 1975, along with Ed Goodson, he was sent to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Lee Tracy, Tom Pacharek, Jerry Royster, and Jimmy Wynn. Yeah. And so, and of course, if you see film, 
there's like, of course, you see the main film that they show on TV, but also there's part there's one film from like the first base side of that game where the Braves dugout was. When Hank hit it, Dusty's on, as we said, he was the cleanup guy. He was on deck. As soon as Hank hit it, Dusty was walking towards home plate, and he, he raised his fist and like, yes, he did it. He passed it. You know, and that's another, I mean, that's an image that I can remember from Dusty Baker from that day. And then that later that year, the Braves played in the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown, and there was this great picture of in the dugout at, at Doubleday Field of Dusty Baker, Cool Papa Bell, who got inducted that year, Hank Aaron, Satchel Page, and Braves teammate Ralph Gar just sitting there smiling, just having a good time. And it's just it's one of my favorite photos of Dusty's time as a Brave, you know. Just dudes being dudes. Just dudes being dudes, man. Just having, <laughs> just having fun, you know. So now he goes to, you know, growing up he was a Dodgers fan. So now he's going to his childhood team. Right? He's back in California. He's again he's back in his home state, you know. And this is where in, in the eight seasons with the Dodgers is where his career really, I can say, really took off as a player. He really stood out, you know. And, of course, it, you know, for 76, he hit, like, 242, so it wasn't that good. But, like, he only played 112 games, and he only got, like, 93 hits and 39 RBIs, but he was having trouble with his knee ligaments. So he stretched him out too much and required surgery after the season. But he bounced back in 77, played 153 games, hit 291, 155 hits. 30 home runs, 86 ribbies, you know, and, you know, he was part of that, that Dodgers team, Tommy Lasorda's first year as Dodgers manager. They won the National League pennant. They went to the World Series. But not only that, he's also. I love this. This is one of them weird things that is so sports that it hurts. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he played an integral, sorry, integral part in the first ever high five between him and his teammate Glenn Burke on October 2nd, 1977 at Dodger Stadium, which, you know, we think of high fives, you don't think it, it's it's hard to fathom that a high five is only like 45 years old. Yeah, it's one of those things you, I feel, always feel like was like just human excitement, you know, generations upon generations of high fives, you know, just. Yeah, it's like it just started that one day in 1977. You know, Dusty hit a home run off J.R. Richard for the Astros. Right, and this was the year that he had his 30th home run that year, and him and Ron Say and Steve Garvey, Rich Smith, all hit 30 home runs. They were the first Dodgers were the first team to have four four players hit 30 home runs on in a season. This was on the last regular season day too, so right. it's now or never. Right, they went to game 162, you know, and um, so he 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 goes around. Uh, Dusty goes around the bases, and Glenn Burke's on deck, right, and Burke just thrusted his hand enthusiastically over his head to greet Baker. And Baker didn't know what to do. He just smacked it. You know, it was just, you know. <laughs> An awkward moment, and he made something out of it. <laughs> yeah. As, as Dusty said, his hand was up in the air, and he was arching way back. So I reached up and hit his hand. It seemed like the thing to do, which, yeah, it does seem like the thing to do. You don't want to leave Glenn Burke hanging, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I f- forgot to add that in his uh, list of accomplishments there at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Definitely be in there at the end when we recap. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time that he would see the postseason in his career with the Dodgers win the NL West, and they faced the Phillies in the NLCS. He proved key in game two when he hit a grand slam in the fourth to t- break a 1-1 tie that the Dodgers wound up winning 7-1. to his second and last home run of the series proved just as important as he hit a two-run dinger off Steve Carlton in the second inning of Game 4. Again, the Dodgers would end up winning 4-1 to one to clinch the pennant. And in total, he went 5-14 of 14 while driving in eight runs. And for his efforts, he was awarded the first ever NLCS MVP award. The Dodgers then faced the Yankees in the 77 World Series. He collected one home run in the series in Game 3. He went 7-24, for 24, which is a 292 clip with five runs batted in, but the Dodgers lost the series in six games. In the 78 season, he hit 262 with 137 hits, and the Dodgers and Phillies met up for a rematch. The result would be the same as the Dodgers won the pennant in four games, and Baker went 7-15 of 15 with one RBI. In the 78 series, they met the Yankees again, with the same result for Baker and the Dodgers. He only hit one home run as he batted 238 in the six-game series. 
1979, he batted 274, but improved in 1980 with height and contact as he hit 294, 170 hits, 29 home runs, and 97 rubies. And he finished fourth in MVP voting while winning the Silver Slugger. And 81 was shortened by a strike that saw first and second half division champion. But Baker and the Dodgers were not slowed down. He played in 103 games with a career-high 320 average, 128 hits, and 49 RBIs. And that is how he got into his first All-Star game. He was also awarded the Silver Slugger again, as well as the Gold Glove Award, while finishing seventh in MVP voting. The Dodgers won the first half NL West title and thus were matched against the second half champion, the Houston Astros. Baker batted 167 in the division series, but the Dodgers won in five games. In the championship series against the Montreal Expos, he batted 316 with three RBIs as the Dodgers won in a closely contested five-game set to win their third pennant in four years. Once again, facing the Yankees in the 81 World Series, he batted a dismal 167 with one RBI. But the Dodgers did win in six games, thus gaining him his uh, only World Series week to date. But he does have a chance, you know, next week and a half or so to possibly get another. Um, the following year, he was 300 hitter in 147 games, still right around 170 hits, 23 home runs, and 80 RBIs to make his second and final All-Star game. He closed out his Dodgers career in 83, hitting 260 with 138 hits. Curiously, this was the first season since 75 where he drew more walks than strikeouts, with 72 walks and 59 Ks. In the NLCS, he batted 357 while hitting a home run for his fifth and final career postseason home run. The Dodgers lost the set in four, year, four games. And that, um, that kind of wraps up his time with the Dodgers. After that, he became a free agent, and he got signed with another one of his favorite childhood teams, the Giants, mm-hmm. for 1984. Why don't you take it from there, Matt? He played in 100 games with the Giants that year. He batted 292 with 71 hits and three home runs. I mean, you know, decent average in, in 100 games. And then the next year, he was traded across the bay to the Oakland Athletics for two minor league players. Now... He was an outfielder for most of his career, but in 85, he started playing first base for the A's, right? And he played 61 games at first base while also serving as DH for 28 games. So altogether in 85, he played 111 games as an outfielder, a first baseman, and a DH. And he hit 268 with 14 home runs and 52 RBIs. And then in 86, his final season, he played sparingly for 83 games for the A's. And hit 240. His last game in his major league career was on October 4th, 1986, against the Royals. And he went 0 for 1 with two walks before being taken out for a pinch runner in the seventh inning. And the, and the Athletics offered to send him down to AAA for the 87 season, but Baker d- declined that and left it for free agency instead. And then he just retired. And so his career stats, you know, in 19 years in the big leagues, played in 2039 games, he hit. You know, got 1,981 hits, 242 home runs, 1,013 RBIs, while never, and he never went on the disabled list, which is odd because he was dealing with injury in his first season with the Dodgers. But I guess in 76, he probably paid through the pain or something, but he just didn't go on the disabled list. Or, well, now they call it the injured list or whatever because disabled is not nice, I guess, but. You know, we, we know, we still call it the same list. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, you know, sometimes when we see Dusty Baker in a dugout. He's a noted toothpick guy. Yeah, he will chew on a toothpick. He loves those toothpicks. Noted toothpick guy. <laughs> and he did, you know, and, you know, he's noted, and he says for toothpicks, toothpicks are an excellent source of protein. <laughs> and he chews on one, at least one every game. But he, but there's a reason to it. He uses the toothpick as a way to deter use of chewing tobacco, which he uses as a player. Yeah, it's kind of a crutch to get past his oral fixation and having that plug in. Yeah, I mean, it's like when my granddad tried to quit smoking, you know, years ago. He went to a pipe, and then after that, eventually he quit smoking. Mm-hmm. So this was Dusty's way of. A lot of guys use sunflower seeds or yeah, big league chew. Big league it's kind chew. of big thing in baseball back in the day for that same reason. Yeah, you know, but. And it's just, and of course, in his last year, his last season as a player, you know, he began wearing wristbands featuring his face on his on his wrist, which you still see him do today. You'll watch Game Two of the World Series tonight. You're gonna see he's got an orange wristband. Right, he's yep. gonna wear two orange wristbands on his wrist and then chewing a, t- a toothpick and watch the game. You know, 
Yeah, that's just Dusty Baker. That's that's his image, you know. <laughs> and you know he he stated it, it, it's there to help wipe perspiration off his face. Which okay, yeah, I get that, you know. And so he retired and he went to work as a stockbroker. Like we talked to earlier, you know, he he gained a appreciation for stocks and he's like, I want to do that, you know, after I'm done with playing. So he was a stockbroker for a year. But then here's the thing. Hank Aaron, Joe Morgan, and Frank Robinson called Dusty to go to Dallas, Texas to try to get jobs for minority baseball players after they finished their playing careers. Because Al Campanis, who was the general manager of the Dodgers at the time, said something really stupid on with Ted Koppel about, you know, why there's no minorities in big league uh big league baseball positions. And I, I'm not going to quote everything he said. You can look it up. But it's, it's pretty, even for 1987, it's like, uh, that's not, not good. You shouldn't have said that now. I mean, he didn't say the N-word, but, like, he, he basically kind of insinuated, like, he gave a really bad reason why there's no African-Americans or minorities in, like, higher-up positions in Major League Baseball at the time. It was kind of like, Al, what, what are you saying, man? Come on. I mean, like, if you watch base, if you watch um, – uh, the last inning nine of Ken Burns baseball, he talks about it. It shows the interview with Ted Koppel. Yeah, y'all want to go look that up. It'll make you your opinion at Alcan Pass. Yeah, which is sad because I'm like, generally he's not, you know, he was good friends with Jackie Robinson, you know, but it was just, it was a very, it, what he said was really bad, even for 1987. I guess the best way I'm going to say it is he threw out a racial stereotype, but you could tell that he actually believed the stereotype. Yeah, let's just say that. That's, that's about where I'm going to leave that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, come on now. And so that's why Hank Aaron, Joe Morgan, Frank Robson called Dusty and said, look, you got to help get more African-Americans and minorities in, in Major League Baseball, like in, in front offices and stuff like that. It's almost like, hey, baseball has an image problem and we need you to help. Right. I mean, Dusty could have just stayed being a stockbroker if they didn't call him, you know. But, hey, when Hank Aaron calls you, you answer Mm-hmm. Well, Hank Aaron, Joe Morgan, Frank, three Hall of Famers. If they call you, you answer. <laughs> and so, you know, he's, the ties with Hank Aaron go back to when he was 19 years old, also. So. Yeah. And, you know, just, and even like when Hank's, um, when Hank passed away last year and his children threw out the first pitch in game three of the World Series, Dusty came out before they threw the first pitch and gave, you know, hugs and handshakes and all that to his kids. So it's like, you know, they had a special connection. Lifelong friends. Lifelong friends. So he goes to Dallas, and he meets up with uh, Bob Kennedy, who was a senior baseball operations executive for the Giants. And he told he told Dusty that Al Rosen, who was the Giants general manager at the time, wanted to talk to him about a possible job. And on the advice of his dad, Dusty, along with his brother and daughter set out to Lake Arrowhead, which I guess that's, they probably had like a house there or something to pray and seek guidance to decide whether he should see Rosen and possibly return to baseball. But however, while checking to the hotel, I guess Lake Arrowhead's a hotel or they have a hotel in Lake Arrowhead. Excuse me. I just pulled it up. It looks like a really nice community. Yeah. So he, when he got to the hotel, Baker encountered the owner of the Giants, Bob Lurie which seemed a sign for Baker to take an opportunity if offered. So, okay, you know. And then when he met, eventually met with Rosen, Rosen stayed interested in having him serve as first base coach, which differed from Baker staying interested possibly as assistant general manager because Rosen thought he would be better suited to manage on the field. And so, you know, after a year out of baseball, Dusty's back in the game, right? 1988 season. You know, he starts being the first base coach for the Giants. And then the next four seasons, including the 89 season when they made the World Series, he was the hitting coach. And then 92, during the Arizona Fall League, he managed the Scottsdale Scorpions, which I guess that's no, that's the Arizona Fall League team. And I think the Giants probably had some ties to it, you know. Mm-hmm. But then after the 92 season, the Giants fired manager Roger Craig. And... The new, you know, and then the Giants that same year got bought by Peter McGowan, you know, so new manager, new general manager, Bob Quinn, and then new owner. 
And so the new owner and the new general manager were like, hey, let's hire Dusty. Let's do it. So in December 1692, he was hired to manage the Giants. He became the seventh black manager hired to manage a major league baseball team in history, dating back to like Frank Robinson in 75, you know. And he beat out four other candidates, including future Twins and Tigers manager Ron Gardenhire. So that's cool. And of course, 93 was his first year, was also Barry Bonds' first year with the Giants. So, you know, but Baker and Bonds, you know, that's a dream team right there. <laughs> you know, which was also like he got the, the team acquired uh, Barry the same month that. Dusty was promoted to manager. So I was like, okay, it's a win-win, you know? And his first year as manager, they went 103-59. But, of course, this was still 93. They were still only um, there were still only two divisions back then in both leagues, east and west. The Braves, as crazy as that sounds, were in the west division at the time, and the Braves won the west. That year with a better record, they went 104 and 58. Oh man, it's, it sucks when you lose when you win 100 games. You don't even win your division. It's it's awful. And they were up nine and a half games in August. Yeah, and then just they they kind of collapsed. They collapsed, man. They, they messed it. The Mets, yeah, <laughs> they messed it. But still, he won Manager of the Year that year. And until last year, he was the only Giant manager to win Manager of the Year. So you know, I mean. He was he was ready to go, you know. And just, you know, it just proved that, you know, last year, the the year before that, they were 7290, so a big turnaround. And it's just like, you know, and he was the first manager since Sparky Anderson of the Reds in 1970 to win 100 games as a rookie manager. And the and fourth, only the fourth ever. Yeah. I mean, you know, this if he had any doubts of coming back to baseball, after that year of retirement, I think that ceased all doubts. Another cool fact about that year, he became the eighth and final, which I'm sure, you know, this could happen whenever. Mm-hmm. Uh, became the eighth and final manager to lead a team with 100 wins and not make the playoffs, which the expanded wild cards and all that stuff is going to make it really unlikely for that to ever happen again. But yeah, can't say never. Exactly. You know. So he was with the Giants for a long time, and um, they went on to win division titles in 97 and again in 2000. And he was manager of the year in both of those years. And he was the second person to win the award three times after Tony La Russa. <laughs> Just getting mentioned. Tony. Tony. <laughs> and uh, the first to do so went in the same – the first to do so with the same team all three times. Okay. And um, his easygoing style of managing leads to the description of a player's manager. He even learned Spanish trying to relate some to relate some of his players. Um, That's awesome. It was also during his San Francisco tenure that the term Dustiny was coined by former Giants pitcher Rod Beck. <laughs> However, the postseason would elude Baker and the Giants as they fell in the NLDS in 97 and in 2000 while losing a tiebreaker game for the wild card spot in 88. 98. Or 98, yes. 98. <laughs> well, man, 2002, that was their year, man. Yeah, they won 95 games and they clinched the wild card by three and a half games. And then they beat they beat the Braves in, in five games in the NLDS because that's you know, they that's went, what the Braves did. Back yeah, then. <laughs> what the Braves did back then. You know, and they delivered its first postseason series victory since 1989. So you know, and then they faced the Cardinals in the 2000 in the you know CS. And they beat and the Cardinals beat the Diamondbacks in the L. The defending champions in the NLCS, the NLDS, I'm sorry, that year. And, um, you know, the Giants beat them in five games to win their first pin in 11 years, winning on a walk-off single by Kenny Lofton. That's a name right there from the childhood. Yeah. You know, Mr. Kenny Lofton. And, of course, they go in the World Series and they played the Cal- I'm sorry, Anaheim Angels, right, when they were still known as the Anaheim Angels. And not the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Of California. Of California. Compton, by, by the sea. Right. Just whatever else we throw in there. <laughs> oh, man. They try, I think they tried to make a – they tried to move to, like, Long Beach or something. Or they're trying to build a new stadium, but it got shot down. They're just trying to attract all that fan base from the L.A. area, man. And, right. It's like, just leave L.A. for the Dodgers and keep Anaheim for yourself, man. Yep. Come on. Be, be Anaheim. That's more unique than Los Angeles. 
But anyway, and so that was an epic series. That went seven games. That was like uh, the Rally Monkeys time, right? Yes, the Rally Monkeys, um, yeah. I'm sure y'all remember this iconic uh, Barry Bonds' kid was the Bat Boy and ran out to get the bat. I think that happened during this series. Actually, that was Dusty's son. Dusty's Dusty's son, okay. Yeah. Barry Bonds scooped him up. Yeah, because he was in the way. And Dusty's son was so young then. You know. And now he's on TV, man, the coaching. Right, yeah. (laughs) That's, anyway. That was all in that same series, though. That was, a- that was yeah, and it's just you know, and somewhere we have a VHS or a DVD of the recap of the 2002 World Series somewhere in the house. But it was just an epic series that, unfortunately, the Angels won in seven games, which you know you're like, oh, you're so close, and just, I mean, it's great that you the series. It's great when a series always goes to seven games, but it's always heartbreaking when you lose game seven. Of mm-hmm. any series, doesn't matter what sport. And then, and then they had to lose the last two, and have to, yeah, they had to win one of the last two and just couldn't get it done. And it, you know, it's, it's just what could have been, you know. But here's the thing, though. So you think, you think the owner Peter McGowan would be content with all the success that the team has been having, even though they lost the World Series? But apparently, uh, Peter McGowan and Dusty had a strained relationship. That, you know, even the winning the pennant and making the World Series couldn't mend that. And so the Giants didn't renew his contract after the 2002 season. And so, you know, Dusty said fine. And so he went to the Cubs. You know, but in his time in, in, in San Francisco's manager, he had eight, he won 840 games, lost 715. So a winning record. And, but in, 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 of course, 11 wins and 13 losses in the postseason. But still, you know, you got to actually pin it to your name. That's... It's always good when you have at least something. I mean, sure, division titles are nice, but at least a elite pennant, and especially World Series mm-hmm. parents, that's that's uh, people are going to look at that on your resume. They go, "Yeah, that's it." You know what I mean? This guy knows how to get there. He just got to get over the hump. Right, exactly. You know, and so he leaves. You know, so he leaves uh, San Francisco, but he's one of, as of today, he's one of only four man African American managers to manage a World Series team. Of course. Cito Gaston of the Blue Jays was the first, and he won two championships in the 90s. And now Baker was the second, and now Ron Washington, who did it with the Texas Rangers, he's now the Atlanta Braves' third base coach, or mm-hmm. first base no, third base coach. And Dave Roberts, who's still managing the Dodgers, you know, those are the other two, the, the other two. So Cito, and then Dusty, and then Ron, and then Dave Roberts, the four African-American managers to manage a team to a World Series. So, I mean, that's a unique class right there. But, you know. And Roberts and Cito are the only two to actually win one because Roberts won in 2020. Yep. Yep, in the the COVID year. The Asterix Championship. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's the thing. Dusty left as the all-time ways ranger in San Francisco in the San Francisco era of the Giants history from 58 to present. But Bruce Bochy would pass him, but of course he won three World Series. So, yeah, and it's hard to beat that, man. I mean, Bruce Bochy just sat back in the coaching. Yeah, he's the Rangers. He's yeah. the Rangers now. So, hopefully, maybe he'll turn Texas around. Maybe they'll get over the hump that Ron Washington couldn't do when he was there and win the World Series. Who knows? I mean, he's a good manager. Maybe he'll, be, he'll probably be in the Hall of Fame, too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he goes. So, we're good. Dusty's with the Cubs. Replacing Don Baylor. Don Baylor. On a four-year deal. And, man, that 2003, that 2003 season with the Cubs. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, they make it. So, apparently, he was subjected to some controversy that year. And he stated, he made a statement that black and Hispanic players are better suited to playing in the sun and then heat than white players. That's a quote. That's not us saying that. <laughs> right. That's what he said. And Baker defended his beliefs later said, what I meant is that blacks and Latinos take the heat better than most whites and whites take the cold better than most blacks and Latinos. That's it. Pure and simple. Nothing deeper than that. I'm like, I can see that, you know? Yeah. But of course that year, they had they still had Sammy Sosa of the Cubs and they had Moises Alou, right? And they had great pitching in Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor before both their careers went off the deep end. And they just and they won the 
you know, they won the they won their first division title in 14 years, right? And then, you know, they beat the Braves in the LDS. So Dusty's like two and zero. Dusty beat the Braves for the second straight year. He beat his former team twice in two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's the the dreaded NLCS with the Marlins. You know, and we and, and of course, if you know, I'm sure most of our listeners know what happened to the 2003 NLCS. And it was bad. Yep, in game six, they were five outs away from the pennant, holding a 3-0 lead. And Steve Bartman just couldn't stay in his seat and single-handedly cost the Cubs a World Series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It didn't have anything to do with errors after that or um, just getting smoked the next two nights. But, yeah, we all know that story. Oh, Steve Bartman. Yeah. And, you know, and they lost that game. They lost game seven. Of the- it would have been their first World Series appearance in – 58 years. So they had to wait till 2016 before that happened. So, but still, you know, despite that, it was still a great season. Mm-hmm. You know, especially by Cubs standards at that point in time. Yeah, by that by Cubs standards, it was a great season. You know, but luckily they forgave Steve Bartman after that. So, yeah, he did. they even gave him a ring. Not mistaken. They did give him a ring. Yes, when he was finally able to come out fighting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the poor man, dude. I felt, Could you I, imagine that? I feel so sorry for him. And, of course, watching the 30 for 30 on him, it was just... If I was in the same seat, I would have probably done the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just and, human reaction. Oh, hey, it's a ball. I mean, catch said ball. Right. And he was listening to the game on the radio, like, you know, in his headset, you know. So, and he's just listening to it, and it's just probably like some kind of tape delay or something, you know. And then, of course, even today, he still talks to his lawyer, you know. If, if you want to talk to Steve, you got to talk to his lawyer first. But anyway... It's sad, man. But anyway, 2004, you know, he was in a heated – the Cubs were in a heated wild card chase with Houston Astros because the Astros were still in the National League at this time, and they were both – both Cubs and Astros were in the Central Division. But they – but the Cubs fell, fell – excuse me. The Cubs fell out of contention near the season's end, losing six of their last eight games and missing the playoffs by three games. And then he received uh, criticism from television analyst and Harry Carey sidekick Steve Stone, who blamed Baker for his players harassing him at team charters and hotels. I guess the, I guess it's the players were making fun of Steve, and he was just had he, and he blamed it on Dusty, which Baker waved off as being grown men. <laughs> dudes being dudes, man, deal with it. Just, yeah, toughen up. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't all bad. On August 30th, Baker won his 1,000 game as a manager in a win over the Montreal Expos. And he did it in his 1,848th game. So that's pretty cool, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, 2005, this is when Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood really, really fell off the deep end with uh, injuries. And the team finished with a 79-83 record, making the first time in three years of the Cubs had a losing record. And then they continued to climb in 2006 with a 66-96 record and finished last in the entire National League, not just the Central, but all the National League. And then, you know, he's, Baker's getting scrutinized for being the old-school baseball traditionalist. And they blame, and I guess critics were blaming him for the Cubs' claim for activity. And, of course, Dusty, you know, he said that putting him in on base can be unimportant and nearly clogging up the bases. So I guess, he, yeah, he's, he's going against the sabermetric thing. You know, going against, you know, Billy, not Billy Ball. Beamer. Money Moneyball, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking Billy Martin for some reason. <laughs> and, of course, you know, and he he was also getting criticism for, you know, for tendency to overuse his player, his pitchers, which. And again, I can see some of that being an old school mentality because back when he was coming up, he had a lot more guys with rubber arms because they weren't throwing as hard. You know, and right. they weren't putting that same wear and tear on their bodies that pitchers in this modern, more modern era of baseball really yeah. do. A lot of these pitchers, they can't be a Nolan Ryan. Right. <laughs> you know, they're in all, and, you know, but anyway, it's just, you know, he's getting criticized, you know. And of course, you know, when the team's not doing good, you blame it on the manager. It all rolls uphill. Right. And always, always. You know, and just, you know, just bad. <laughs> You know, just, just bad stuff. And then, but of course, when they got, of course, they both Wood and Pryor, 
they've been quoted as not blaming Baker for what happened in their careers. You know, with prior stating that he had to balance pitcher use with the decisions required to try and help the Cubs win games. Pryor also cited that as cited Baker as an inspiration to stay in the game after he retired from pitching, while Baker described baseball's relationship with Baker describing baseball's relationship. So that's good. I mean, like you know, those two guys were averaging 122 and 126 pitches per start. That's just obscene these days. Yeah, that's you know, pitching coaches with heart attacks if that happened. You know, I mean, but if if only if you're pitching really good and you're getting like no here going, okay, right. right. But if you're in trouble, yeah, get, get a reliever in there or somebody, you know. That's <laughs> just one of those areas where the game's evolved, you know. And yeah. He might have been on the, a little bit on the wrong end of it right there, kind of in the middle of that evolution. Yeah. But, um, you know, and of course, after the 2006 season ended, the Cubs declined to renew Baker's contract. And they allowed, to, they allowed him to address the media at a press conference where he officially announced his departure. The Cubs hired Luke Vanilla the next season. And I'm sure he'll get his own episode. <laughs> That's a wild card. Yeah. Baker, he, his record with the Cubs was 322 wins, 326 losses, and a posting record of six wins and six losses. Right. And so the and so he's a year out, a year away from managing. He comes back as manager of the Reds in 2008. Right. And in two seasons, his first two seasons, they finished 74 and 88 and 78 and 84, finishing fourth and fifth in the Central, respectively. But then 2010, they make the playoffs. They won the Central Division. And they got Joey Votto. You know, I mean, he wasn't a rookie then, but like he was going, he was getting to be better. He was breaking out. Right. He was becoming Joey Votto. Right. And everybody's like, all right, the Reds won the champion. They won the division championship. This is great. You know, and this was their Reds' first playoff appearance in 15 years. You know, going back to the 95 Reds when they lost to the Braves in the NLCS. No way on. But, yeah, and so, but that year, 2010, the, the Phillies swept the Reds in the NLDS. But he had a good enough year to get a two-year extension, so. Yeah, I mean, you you got the Reds in the playoffs for the first time in 15 years. Here you go. And then in 2012, they uh... – Won 97 games, and they won the Central for the second time in three years. Only the Nationals won more games than the Red that, Reds that year. And um, in September 2012, he stayed in a Chicago hospital for uh, treatment of an irregular heartbeat. At the time, he had been dealing with a long-standing heart problem. And they, they clinched the division while he was in the hospital, their second in three years, and his fifth as a manager. Yeah. And then they faced the Giants in the division series. The Reds beat the Giants 5-2 and 9-0 in San Francisco to lead the series heading back to Cincinnati. And then in Game 3, it was a tight affair with the Reds on the wrong side. A bobbled bobbled play by Scott Rowland led to the winning run by the Giants, and they tied the series with an 8-3 victory in Game 4. And in Game 5, the Reds collapsed the game complete. So it's a rare mistake and a clutch moment by uh, Scott Rowland. One, in my opinion, the better third baseman defensively to ever play the game. Yeah. You know, he, and before that, he was with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Back when they had him and Edmonds, dude, their defense during that little stretch was unreal. Just unstoppable. And then in 2013, the Reds only won 90 games, but it was good, only good enough for third place finish in the division. Cardinals won the division by seven games. And they had a five game losing streak to close out the regular season. And, but. They were the second wild card team that year, so they didn't win the division. But this was where I think the season before that they started where they had two wild card teams instead of one. So now they're they're still they made the playoffs as the second wild card team. They got to play the Pirates, who won ninety four games that year. You know, in the wild in the one the one playoff wild card game, but they lost to the Pirates, and Baker was fired like three days after the game. You know. <laughs> I mean, basically, they, they the Pirates won 62. They took the lead in the second inning. They never would. I remember watching that game. The damn fans in Pittsburgh were starved for playoff baseball, and they were rowdy. Yeah. And honestly, you know, Baker went 509, you know, and 463 as the Reds manager. You know, but let's be honest. He was the first full-time Reds manager to finish with a winning record overall since Jack McKeon. <laughs> nobody's done it since either. And nobody's done it since. I mean, like, 
the Reds were terrible this year. They, they, I think they went like a long. They didn't win a single game for like a long time to start the season. They were like oh for I don't remember. I think that's part of being a mid mid level market team. Yeah. In this day of baseball, where you have the New Yorks and the LAs and Atlanta's finally spending money and right. You know, not everybody can be Steve Cohen, right? You know, whoever Bob Castellini, you know, at the Reds or like Bob Nuttig of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't have Steve Cohen money to go out great players. They have mm-hmm. to get great players or keep great players on their team because they're just going to lose them to free agency if they get if they get to you like homegrown talent because they right. can't afford them. And they want, and both Reds and Phil, Reds and the Pirates fans want, you know, the owners to sell the team because they're not, they, they feel like they're not bringing enough money to compete, you know. But when you're in a small market, you got your income. Yeah. They're just kind of handicapped by. People can make an argument that St. Louis is a small market, but St. Louis is a baseball town. And the owners, the DeWitts, of the Cardinals. they got fans everywhere buying t shirts because back in the KMOX days when you could hear them coast to coast damn near. Yeah. You know? They, they, doesn't you know the Cardinals can compete because they have the money? Mm-hmm. You know the the, the Dewitts got the money. But anyway, so honestly, I was a little at the time it happened. I was a little shocked that they fired Dusty. But it's like you know, and now looking back, almost ten years later, it was probably a stupid decision by the Reds' part. But again, you you can't. You don't just, have the talent to win though. Would you still be the same team and just have him being mediocre, Dusty? You know, right? You know, I mean. But then, so he's out again. But he was also, yeah, maybe it was around this time or later, he was on baseball tonight. He was on ESPN's baseball tonight as an analyst. You know, he was just like in between managerial since he'd be like talking, you know, being a talking head on like baseball night, you know, when baseball night was still a thing. But now he's being squashed that. So I was like, yeah. Yeah, ESPN sucks. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But then. The, the Washington Nationals hired Dusty for the 2016 season, right? And at the time he was hiring, he was hired on November 3rd, 2015. He was the only black manager in Major League Baseball and had the second highest total for most wins in Major League Baseball, I guess, among after managers at the time. And so comments made shortly after his hire raised attention when he suggested that his Washington Nationals should feel more players of color as you've got a better chance of getting some speed with Latin and African Americans. And apparently that generated controversy, but it's like, he's not being wrong. As a slow white guy, I don't hate his logic. Right. I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) And of course, you know, Dusty, of course, defended his comments and he said, I'm not being racist. That's just how it is. And honestly, yeah, he's right. There's, you know, there's a lot of fast, you know, African-American and Latino players. Mm-hmm. Compared, I mean, there are fast white guys, too. But, like, in the modern day, there's a lot of fast African-American and Latino players. I'm going to bet if you look at the all-time stolen base leaderboard, the white dudes are going to be underrepresented. Right. I, I mean, know. just look at Ricky Henderson. He leads in stolen bases. It's an insane number. It's insane. And Lou Brock's number two. And they're both African-American. You know, but anyway, so it's like, eh. But, you know, comments like this are not going to get him fired because, you know, it's dusty. I feel like the biggest scrutiny of them that came out when he got hired was that they were afraid he was going to overuse pitchers as he had to track his traffic through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was noted that his prior Reds team featured players throwing fewer pitches, and some baseball writers noted that there's no clear link between pitches thrown and injuries suffered. Yeah. And so, Dusty, once again, makes an immediate impact with the team. They win 95 games and they won the NL East, right? Which was a 12-game improvement from what they did last the season before. With, I guess they won 83 games that the past year. And this was the third time that the team won the NL East in the last five seasons. But the Nationals lost in the NLDS in five games to the Dodgers. And they lost game four and game five. You know, they gave so in game five they gave up four runs in the seventh inning and lost four to three. So they were up like three nothing, and then they just gave up four runs. They kind of collapsed the seventh right. inning. It happens, man. Just like he did last night. Yeah, just like he did last night. Game we'll, one. We'll get to that. <laughs> you know, and so 2017 
Nationals win another NL East championship under Dusty. But their postseason was once again cut short after losing the 2017 NLDS to the Cubs in five games. Game five saw the Nationals have a 4-1 lead by the time of the second inning, but the game turned wildly in the fifth inning with four runs that were scored on two outs from the Cubs, which included multiple hits, a pass ball, an error, a catcher's interference, and a hit batter. While the Nationals tried to rally, the Cubs won 9-8. And then the fifth game... Yeah, that was good. So the fifth, that fifth game was the tenth time in 14 years where Baker managed team had lost a closeout game with the opportunity to advance to the next round of the playoffs, which was a record. In both MLDS <coughs> matchups, and in both MLDS matchups, the Nationals had outscored their opponents but lost the series. And then that was the last straw for the. Nationals, they they let Baker and the whole staff go. They didn't just fire him; they fired everybody. They they cleaned house, and then two years later, they won the World Series with. Oh, who's their manager? Oh, I can't remember. But they won. But they but Nationals won two years. Two years later, won the World Series without Dusty or Bryce Harper, for that matter. But yeah, but still, it's just like it kind of sucked. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe they did make the right choice at the time. Because it, it 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 worked it worked out for them two years later they got over that hump and they won the World Series against the Astros, and so Dusty's out for another couple seasons. Two thousand twenty, he was one of three finalists for the Philadelphia Phillies managing job with Joe Girardi and Buck Showalter, but Girardi got the job, which he got fired this year, and well, and he's missing out on his team in the World Series. It's wild, isn't it? It is so wild, but. Dusty got that same year, 2020, before the pandemic shut everything down. Dusty got hired by the Astros, right? And of course, this was in the wake of the Astros cheating scandal. They got rid of their old manager, AJ Hinch, who is now with the Detroit Tigers, and he's sucking with them. They're not doing great. Uh, but again, you know, he beat out Buck Showalter for this job, for the Astros job, along with John Gibbons, Joe Espada, and Will Venable. And he was 70. He was the third manager to be hired at the age of 70 at first since Jack McKeon. Because, of course, you know, and he was the first manager in the two league, in the two league era to have coached over 3,000 games in one league before managing a single game in the other. As this was his first managerial job in the American League. Because now the Astros are in the American League. You know, the contract was for one year with the option for second. So that first year, you know, they make it to the play in the in the short in the um, what's it called in the pandemic shortened season of 2020, when you're only playing 60, um, 60 games in a bubble in a bubble instead of 162. You know, the Astros clinched the playoff spot as a sixth seed in the pandemic shortened season. And he became the first baseball manager to lead five teams in the postseason. And then he became the first manager to lead a team that finished under 500 in the postseason to a series win, beating both the Minnesota Twins and the Oakland A's to reach the ALCS. So, again, this was a strike short season, but they, I think they expanded the playoffs that year because it was just so, you know, because of the strike short season. Not strike, I'm sorry, not strike. Pandemic shortened season. I'm sorry. I'm used to saying strike short season because we've been talking about strikes in the past episodes. It's it's I'm still getting used to saying the pandemic short season. But you know what I'm saying when I'm talking about 2020. It's a pandemic short season. My apologies to everybody listening. <laughs> but um, you know, so they make it to the ALCS, but they lose to the Rays in seven games. And they had they came back from three and zero. So like the Rays had a three and zero lead, and the Astros came back. But you know, and so he when he appeared in Game Seven of that ALCS against the Rays, you know, it was his ninth Game Seven as a manager, setting a new record for most appearances by a manager in a wear tick all game. Although Baker only won two of those games, and so he's back in twenty twenty one. He wins his one thousand nine hundred game as a manager. And then they make the playoffs. You know, he's just setting records. He became the 14th manager to win 1,900 games. If you do something long enough, they're going to start setting these kind of records. Yeah, and that's what he's been doing since 1993. 
He beat the Angels 8-2 to get the win. Four days later, he passed Gene Mosh for 13th on an all-time wins list with a 5-2 win over the Seattle Mariners. Then on April 30th, he passed Casey Stingle <laughs> yeah, for 12th all-time in the Andrew Wing list with a 9-2 record. I'm sorry, 9-2 win over the Rays. The team's first meeting since the previous ALCS. So he's just like setting records in a, in a, in a few days, like, like a couple weeks in, in April. But here's, you know, and so they win the AL West. The Astros won the AL West that year. And another first, he became the first manager. After doing that, he became the first manager in the majors to guide five different clubs in division titles. Again, as Patrick said, if you've been around long enough, you're going to do this. You know. Mm -hmm. And then the Astros beat the White Sox in the LDS, which were led by Tony La Russa. <laughs> And they faced each other over 200 times in their career, mostly when they were both in the Central, with Tony being with St. Louis yeah. for what seemed like forever. And then Dusty with the Cubs and the Reds. Yeah. Oh, man. And then they, they faced the Red Sox in the LCS. And then they beat the Red Sox in six games, doing so in a dramatic comeback where they had lost the first – they lost the first two out of three games and before winning three in a row to advance the World Series. The 19-year gap between World Series appearances is the second longest all-time between managers, with the only greater one being Bucky Harris, who did it, you know, with the 20s with the Senators to the 47 with the Yankees. And Baker became the ninth manager in Major League history to win a pennant in both leagues. And, of course, they faced the Braves in that series. They lost in six games. So, of course, all the Braves fans remember that. But still, it's like, you know, and now this year, he's back in the World Series. And Jim Crane, the owner of the uh, Astros, you know, they, he announced that Baker agreed. Before the season, he announced that Baker agreed to a one-year extension to manage the club this year. The man's managed over 24 major league seasons. And this year, on May 3rd, he won his 2,000 career game as manager with a 4-0 win over the Mariners in Minute Maid Park. You know. That's a cool stat about this. Um, both his first win and his 2,000 win involved the father-son duo of Geronimo Pena, who batted leadoff for the Cardinals versus the Giants on April 6, 1993, and his son, Jeremy Pena, started the May 3rd game as a shortstop for the Astros. So, yeah. it's a father-son duo in his first and most iconic win to date. Yeah, and Pena just won the ALCS MVP. Mm -hmm. So, he seems, you know, he is a rookie, I believe. So, he's off to a great start. And, like, I saw this stat on the MLB Network. He... He, I believe he's the he's the manager with he he has the most wins as a manager without a World Series ring with like two thousand I think two thousand ninety three, right? And like he's on that list with Gene Mosh and a couple other guys and Clark Griffith, the longtime manager and owner of the Washington the old Washington Senators. And I'm like I never thought I'd see Dusty Baker and Clark Griffith in the same sentence, man. <laughs> it's just one of those things. And so now they're in, and of course, currently they won the American League pennant. The Astros won the American League pennant again. You know, Dynasty's still going strong, even with Dusty's manager. And they're playing the Phillies in the World Series this year. Game one was last night. You know, as I'm sure all, all of our listeners have watched the series last night, you know, Astros had a 5 nothing lead going to the, like, third, fourth inning. And then the Phillies came back and won 6-5 to five in 10 innings. And Verlander just, oh, I feel bad for Justin Verlander, man. I just feel so bad for him. But at age 73, he's 73 this year, Dusty is the oldest manager to reach the World Series. He passed Jack McKeon. Mm -hmm. Of course, this was going to happen. It's Jack McKeon. <laughs> he did it with the Marlins, right? Yeah, in 2003, the Marlins. And this is one of my favorite stats ever. Coming into the World Series, Dusty Baker has appeared in 140 Major League Baseball postseason games as either a player, coach, and a manager in his very long career in the major leagues, over 40 years. No, I'm sorry, 50 years as a player, coach, manager. The Philadelphia Phillies franchise as a whole has only appeared in 114 postseason games since like 1883 when they started. <laughs> that's just, that's a mind-blowing stat, man. <laughs> Talks to the mediocrity of Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies were just – I mean, they were the first franchise to lose 10,000 games. You know, they were just a, a 
for the longest time, the Phillies have been a terrible, terrible team for most of their history. But now they've gotten better with Schwarber and Harper and all these other guys. They built a really good lineup for this season, and it took it about half the year for it to really click and start rolling. But when they started rolling, it was game on it. Yeah, I would say so. And then, you know. It makes me wonder if Joe Girardi was the, actually the problem or if it just took a minute to mesh. Yeah. And also, this year, we talked, you know, of course, we talked about his, his wristbands. He's also starting to wear black gloves. I guess looks like, you know, nitrile gloves over his hands while he's managing this year, or actually started since 2020. And I read an article about it. You know, he sported those black gloves in the dugout nearly every game since 2020. But why? This is what the article is saying. Well, he's never explicitly stated the reason himself, but his wife Melissa told Sporting News it's a precaution against COVID-19. And then also he sometimes wears a mask, you know, during games. Maybe... He did more in 2020-2021. But, you know, he said, I still wear a mask because I had cancer 20 years ago and I had a stroke seven years ago, said Baker in 2021. Some of the fans get on me. Take your mask off. You don't have to wear it. But it's in my best interest to wear it. And, of course, in 2002, the same year they went to the World Series of the Giants, he beat prostate, he had prostate cancer. He beat it. And then he had a mini stroke in 2012. The same year he was managing the Reds. I'll never shame anybody for doing what they got to do to take care of themselves. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, everybody has their reasons. I mean, I still see people come and work, coming to my, well, as customers come to work wearing masks. I don't say anything to them. I don't tell them to take it off. I'm like, that's fine. If you if you feel more comfortable, everybody's immune system is different. If you feel more comfortable wearing a mask around town or in a store, if you feel like that's going to protect you, then wear it. I, I don't have a problem with you wearing it. Yeah. The only people I've ever clowned are the ones that wear it in their own cars. Yeah, I mean, that's a little... That's a little much. But, hey, if you, if you want to feel safe, do what you got to do, man. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's good for him. You know, it's it, honestly, it just adds to it. it. It's unique. It adds to his his wardrobe, right? You know, I mean, along with the wristbands of himself, you know? <laughs> I will say, much. having your face in your wristband, that's a, uh, it's a cocky move. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and, you know, and apparently this... And also, there's a... This year's World Series, this is like the first time since like 1950 that there are no African-American players on either team. It's either whites or, you know, Hispanic players, but no African-Americans. I did not realize that. And honestly, Dusty wasn't thrilled about it. He's like, he, he, I'm reading the uh, USA Today article about it. He said he's ashamed of the game. But it's like, you know, there's not a lot. I mean, we talked about this. There's other sports that African Americans are more interested in playing more than baseball. But I'm glad. But you know, the the the, the percentage of African American players in both major and minor leagues is fairly low. And also, baseball is a business. They're trying to have the best talent there. And if your best talent happens not to have any people of African American descent, I guess that's kind of how it crumbles sometimes. I understand wanting to be represented, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, and honestly, Dusty feels. There's nothing wrong with his statement. He, he feels ashamed for it. It's like, yeah, I get you. I mean, I I would agree with that too, but it's just when you have other sports that other the African-Americans are interested in, like baseball, I'm sorry, basketball or football or anything, you know, it's just you got to find talent where you got to find talent. It doesn't matter what your race is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of programs that do do uh, inner city outreach and things like that, like the MLB's RBI program and things like that. Yeah. In an attempt to up the numbers of African-American players playing the game but you know but you know people's interests or injury limit limitability limit you know injury limits or what have you you know not everybody's going to play major league baseball that's it yeah but that's all i really got to say about dusty do you have anything to add i think we pretty much covered it um He's just a great character in the game of baseball. He's a staple baseball. of the game, man. He's one of those guys that the game's better for having. Absolutely, 100%. You know, just yeah, – and I'm glad that, you know, Dusty Baker is um, is in baseball still, and whenever he decides to hang it up and actually retire, it's going to be a sad day. And then five years after that, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, yeah. fingers crossed that he gets in and he gets to do a speech, you know. I think he's got a tough road ahead of him to win the World Series this year. The man Phillies are red hot. They are just they're 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 hot, man. They're so hot. After they got rid of Joe Girardi, they just took off. 
No offense to him. Makes, makes you wonder if it was, he was the problem or not. And there's that line about mesh. But that's all I got on Dusty. Yeah. And so this is fun. So this is for the, the past episodes that we've done, we've done it at Patrick's place. But this episode is our first time doing it at my place. So that's cool. Yep. Now that uh, I don't live in Huntsville anymore, we had got to take a show on the road every few weeks. Yeah. One way or the other. But um, uh, I guess that's Dusty Baker. Yeah. Um, make sure y'all like, rate, and subscribe us. Fact minutes to your friends. Got anything you want us to talk about? Baseball HIS one hundred and one at gmail dot com. And until next time, I'm Patrick Duvall. And I'm Matthew Carter. See you guys. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Fella, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Now my old friend, the bachelor, well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie Man, those were the Well, now it's the 80s, and Brett is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry, Siva, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. And it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey It was Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey I'm talking with